it is finished. It is finished. Those were hard words to say out loud, and they only came out in a whisper. But everybody in the family heard it. They knew it. The time had come. No farmer makes the decision overnight to stop farming. They had crunched their numbers, they tweaked their production methods, and they tried to stay ahead of the trends. They loved farming. But love wasn't enough. Love didn't pay their debts. Love didn't grow their grains. Love didn't fatten their animals. And love certainly did not heal their beat-up hands. Multiple generations had been farmers, and their knowledge and know-how of the area had kept them afloat for much of their history. Terrace farming, farming that looks like steps on a hill. That was one way. Irrigation canals, a way to let water flow from one place to another place. Those had been the methods to keep farming sustainable in their, generally speaking, arid and rocky climate. But they lived near Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel was like a a mountainous Lancaster County. It was known for being green, lush, fertile, beautiful. There was talk of the splendor of Carmel. A king in history would say to his bride, your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. I sent that as a text to my wife this last week. <laughs> She's pretty quick, and you can see on screen that she knew where it came from. Song of Solomon. Impressive, right? I was impressed. I was saying, wow, she is, she is something. She had one more response, though. She asked if I was going to have lunch with my boss. We started with the Song of Solomon, and then right on, we moved to life. Clearly, clearly, these are the words that sweet-talk your bride. Oh, baby, oh, baby, right? In Scripture, there is another reason for connection with the nature around. The Israelite farmers felt a divine connection to the land. It was God's creation, and side note, it still is. Consider the great book of Leviticus, as I paraphrase. All the land belongs to me, says the Lord. It isn't yours. You're only here for a little while. Steward the land. Stewarding the land well means it remains healthy and fertile for the long term, ultimately serving our own interests as people while also honoring the integrity of creation. Another way to put it, as long as they remembered who was Lord and that it was his creation, the rain, the harvest, the abundance, eating to satisfaction, that is what the Lord had in store for humankind. That was not what happened, though. Not at all. What was once a lush, green symbol of beauty had become a desert wasteland. Drought does this to a community. Can you imagine here in Lancaster County, no rain for more than three years? Drought in Lancaster County means I don't mow my lawn twice a week. Three years of no rain. You think that just crops would fail or grass wouldn't grow, but the impact is bigger. Follow me along. Follow along with me. Animals need water for life. Reproduction, fertility, conception timing, 
These are all strongly related to the health of female animals. A healthy animal needs water and food to be at peak body weight to reproduce. The food the animals eat needs water to grow. If no food is grown, animals not only don't have water, but they also don't have food. If there's no food, there's no fertilizer to amend the soil. No rain and no fertilizer in the soil mean there is a reduced capacity to plow. With the reduced capacity to plow, with the reduced capacity to produce grain and food, with the reduced herd of healthy animals, an out-migration of human labor begins. You put your labor elsewhere. It is finished. The farm, the hope, the livelihood, finished. It had been more than three years and people had moved from just watching for the impact to recognizing an actual change in their landscape to making changes in their lifestyle. We find ourselves today in the Old Testament in 1 Kings 18, in the middle of verse 16 on page 246 of the Church Bible. Please turn to 1 Kings 18, chap, uh, 1 Kings 18, verse 16. Turn there, tap your way there through the Bible app, join me in Scripture. Today, we're going to be reading a couple verses at a time, and then we're going to jump in to talk a little bit about each of the sets of verses. We're in 1 Kings 18, we're in verse 16 at the moment, about halfway through. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. What a start, right? Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Why would Ahab say such a thing? Sometimes when I'm in the thick of something in Scripture, I like to look at the beginnings of our characters. And we're looking at Elijah at this moment. What chapter are we in in 1 Kings right now? We're in chapter 18. Clearly, there is some history being referenced to. It's not just some random insult, you troubler of Israel. So I looked up the history of Elijah. You don't have to look far because Elijah first shows up in chapter 17. It's like, it's like one page turn. Elijah is introduced for the very first time, and in the exact same verse he's introduced, Elijah gives a message to Ahab. There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. From Ahab's perspective, Elijah is nothing but trouble. From the moment he arrived on the scene, all he has contributed, is, contributed to is news about drought and famine. And it started as something that felt like a threat. A king would feel this way, but this threat became a reality. And Elijah is on point when he says, it's not me, it's you, which is like the best breakup line ever. Write that one down. He goes on, I was simply the messenger three years ago. This is on you, your family, because of your leadership and because you have abandoned what the Lord directed. You are worshiping idols, not the real God. And after this brief defense, he continues to challenge Ahab. Verse 19. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. 
So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said, Nothing. The challenge that Elijah gives Ahab is quite interesting to me. If Ahab is, a, is king, it's odd to me that someone is telling him what to do. Do you see the power struggle between the two? Ahab is king and calls Elijah a troubler, but then Elijah answers back by telling him, commanding him, ordering him perhaps, to gather 850 prophets and all the people of Israel. That's a pretty big order. But the king obeys. That would certainly get the attention of the people, right? Who tells the king what to do? Elijah does. So everyone gets together at Mount Carmel, and Elijah talks to the people. He is talking to people that he shares an ethnic history with. That means they all know the story of slavery. They all know the story of Moses, Joshua, miracles, wandering in the wilderness, the cycle of judges. And they share these stories. Elijah says to the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people say nothing. Nothing. No response. He only gives them two directions, the Baal way or Yahweh. I thought about that one for a little bit. The Baal way or Yahweh. Try not to place yourself above the people here. We are these people. Day in and day out, we're given this choice. But there's always some level of interference. Another voice telling you or convincing you to do something else. The classic picture example is with an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. This is Kronk, if you're not familiar with Kronk. Now, that wouldn't be too shabby, that situation right there, in my opinion. Because you only have to choose between two voices, the good and the bad. I think more voices are actually vying for our attention on a daily basis. More things are trying to draw our focus so that we don't listen to the Lord. I wish it were as easy as two voices, but there's often more. One voice that's hard to get out of our heads is our own voice. And when we listen to our own voice, we become that idol. We build our kingdom, not God's. Well, their silence is met with a plan from Elijah. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bowls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, sounds good. What you say is good. It's a good plan. 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bowls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bowl given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. 
and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So Elijah suggests a plan, and the people like it. And so they move forward with this plan. The prophets of Baal prepare the sacrifice. They shout, and they dance, and they do this for hours and hours. What's the environment like in your head? Where is Elijah standing? What's he doing? Is he towering over people? Think about this as you study scripture. Where are the people in proximity to each other? So as he talks to the people, where is he? Well, what Elijah just said out loud, quite loud, he shouted it, was a little crude and sarcastic. We have the joy of a Hebrew euphemism that Bible translators for the NIV massaged in their translation efforts to be a little more appropriate. A euphemism for everybody in the room. It takes something unpleasant or embarrassing or taboo and uses a more mild word. Uh, for example, passed away. What is passed away a euphemism for? Yeah, often we say someone has passed away. What we mean is someone has died. Well, for me and Elijah, I feel like Elijah put on a tank top, opened up his lawn chair, set it upright in the sand and plopped down to watch. Then it gets to the point that he feels he needs to heckle them. Hey, prophets of Baal, I know you've been at it for hours, but, but maybe you just need to shout louder. He is a God, right? Maybe he's deep in thought. Here comes the euphemism, the, the explanation. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. He's stuck in the loo. He doesn't get enough fiber. He might be asleep. You just got to wake him up. Hey, while you're at it, can I get another one of these drinks over here? This is good. This is good stuff. I'll be right here. So he heckles, he hassles them, and they shout louder and get more and more frantic. For what, though? Verse 29 ends with, there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he prepared, he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood cut the bowl into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, 
the stones in the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So after antagonizing the other prophets to try harder, to do more, Elijah calls the audience, his people in. Let's get a huddle going. The altar was reassembled and a moat was dug around the altar. He added wood, he added the cut up bowl, and then to the people he invited in, he tells them to soak everything with water. Not once, not twice, but three times. By the third time, the offering, the wood, so fully saturated, just had water running off of it and pooled up in the moat that was dug around it. Remember, they are in a drought. Where is this water coming from? They're in a drought and they're pouring water over a sacrifice. They're using an extremely limited resource, a scarce resource for this game that Elijah seems to be playing. Water gives life, and they seem to be wasting it. And then he gives a 15-second prayer. 15 seconds, that's it. You know, I would love to talk with the children in the room, and I'd love for them to join me up on stage. So I have Dave and Chris up here. They're going to help the children uh, come up onto the stage, and they'll just help arrange it. So here's what's going to happen. If you're going into fourth grade or any grade below, so that means third, second, and below, please come on up. Find a spot on the stage around me. I want to talk with you all. We're going we're to have an activity together. We're all going to be working together. Come on up. Come on, there's plenty of space up here. Yes! Slap that. Oh, oh someone's got to slap it. So, while they make their way up, let's do a quick inventory. Inventory is really important. One offering was dry, the other drenched in water. Hours of pleading by hundreds of prophets versus a simple prayer from Elijah. And the Lord responded, fire burst forth from heaven and consumed not only the offering, but the wood below it. Now, we've all seen wood burn, right? Have you seen wood burn? Yeah, most people love a nice, let's mm, say fall fire, but we're in the summer right now. So a nice summer fire. Have you ever seen a stone on fire? Like a rock. Like a rock. It says here, the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones. I've seen a stone get hot, but I've never seen it actually disappear. I've never seen it burn up. Now, to burn up a stone, here's a little science for you. Depending on the kind of stone, to turn it into magma, lava, liquid stone, for it to spread out. Temperatures need to reach about 2,700 degrees Fahrenheit. 2,700 degrees Fahrenheit. What a spectacle. People had never seen rocks disappear from fire. It didn't matter how much water had been dumped on it. It didn't matter. It was all gone. And the people remembered who their God was. Baal had been busted. Baal did not start the fire. Our God did. 
What a powerful reminder. The reminder didn't stop with fire from the sky. It gets better. We think fire is the end of the story, but it certainly is not. Elijah had more work to do. Kids, talk to me for a moment. Remind me, today in the service, I said King Ahab called Elijah a troubler of Israel. Can you tell me why King Ahab called Elijah a troubler of Israel? I'm going to go here. Yeah. Because he didn't didn't like how he was saying stuff because... Hmm. Okay, so he didn't like, maybe he didn't like how things were being said. It was more specific than that. It wasn't just an attitude behind it. Close, Enwin. That's close. Someone, yes, in back. Uh, so he, because he wasn't worshiping Baal, it was more specific. Yes. So Elijah had, had said, no, no dew, no rain would come as you continue to worship in this way. All right. He said it wouldn't rain. After the sacrifice had burned up, Elijah went to pray. He asked God for rain, and rain gives life. So let's see if we can make it rain in this room. Yeah, my son is making it rain. I, I wish. I wish. So let's, let's go through a couple things. Can you fold your hands like this? This is just the first of many things. Can you rub your hands like this? Can you, ooh, this might be a little bit harder. Can you snap your fingers? That sounds good. It's pretty good. And let's see, can you, can you go like this? All right, great. Everybody can participate. And if you think I'm not talking to you, I am. Everybody in this room can participate, and please participate. It's really important that we get everybody working together on this. So this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be showing you which action I want you to complete. So if I want you to rub your hands together, I'll be rubbing my hands together like this. Now, I'll start by looking at one side of the room. Now, don't start over here. As I look at you, I want you to start the action I'm showing you. And keep doing it as I turn. So you're still doing it, still doing it. As as I face you, I want you to start. And you keep doing it until I give you a new action. All right, don't stop the action until I give you a new one. Are you ready to try it? LEFC, are you ready for this? All right, let's see what we can do. All right, all ready? All right, Enwin. I'm starting with you. Are you ready? We're going to start with this. Good, good. Keep going. Keep going.
after more than three years of drought. Lives had changed so much because of it. It wasn't just about burning up the offering, it was about the rains coming as well. Can you imagine the sound of rain after three years of nothing? Your hope springs up. It gives life to animals, plants, and humankind. The burning up of the sacrifice, fire from heaven coming down, that's just a taste of the story. The rain coming down, watering the earth, giving life again, it's just a taste of the story. There's more. Why don't you all, thank you so much for participating. Why don't you all make your way back to your families? Now, this isn't the end of Elijah's story. (laughs) His story goes on. Elijah's life, Elijah's life is threatened, and he gives up. Elijah prays to the Lord. He says, I can't do this anymore. I am no better than my ancestors. I'm no better than my people. I'm afraid, and I am alone. God responds in 1 Kings 19, 11 through 12 with a lesson for Elijah. 1 Kings 19, 11 through 12. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The rain, the burning up of the altar, these are all shows of force and power. Force and power. This is a common theme with Israel and the enemies of Israel. It's most likely a common theme in our lives as well. It's what the Israelites wanted from God as a sign and for themselves. Power, political strength, military force. And it's what they came to expect. They didn't understand the God they served, though. They hadn't discovered God's full character. This time, Elijah heard it as a whisper. Much more was ahead for Israel. Much, much more was ahead for Israel. And for most of us, us being the Gentile world, who would think that eventually, eventually, love would be enough, that love would pay our debt? That Jesus, in a whisper, would proclaim, it is finished. Where do we place God? How do we forget about what he has done in our lives? Where do we marvel? How do we love God simply because of God's character? Do our hearts need to be turned back 
to the one who created us, the one who created the universe, brought us here and made us alive. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, your scripture is rich. And I so often place myself outside of it, outside of the, of the story, outside of the truth. When I place myself inside of it, I'm still one of the doubters. I'm still one of the people who forgets what you have done in my life. I forget about it. And I listen to the other voices. Lord, would you help us to remember? Could we remember that you are a personal God, that you came for us, for humankind, but, but also that you created the entire universe? Lord, I believe we all desire to worship. Can we simply name who you are in our life? Would we remember the lessons so that we might love? So as you go from here into the week ahead, keep your eyes open for God. Watch for his works. Be alert for signs of his presence. For he is God, our God, in charge of the whole earth. So go with confidence and joy, knowing that God goes with you. As you leave today, turn in a circle. Greet the people around you. Say hello. Welcome them into the family. Go in peace. We'll see you next week.